morning. Back a Sunday, huh? I'm bringing my moped. That thing is zero to 60 in three hours. It's just amazing. Raw power, raw power. Hey, if you're joining us online, already welcomed you, but welcome again, and welcome to everybody here as well. How wonderful to live in Colorado where we get summer and winter in one 24-hour period. How about that? How many of you would agree with me, we live in a very beautiful part of the world, and it is a privilege to do that? Yeah. We can do that. We're not being pompous. We didn't make the mountains. He did, so that's, that's, that's good. Well, we're continuing in this series, Healthy Minds. God help us. We need God's help. And this weekend, we're thinking about fear, fear. I'd like us just to imagine this situation where a small nation is invaded by a massive nation, and everybody thinks, well, they don't stand a chance. They won't be able to fight back. This is an easy result. I am not talking about the current situation, the tragic situation that continues to unfold in the Ukraine with the Russian invasion, and we need to continue as our hearts break about that tragedy. We need to continue to pray for peace in that situation. And everybody said, and they said that a little louder, let's keep praying. But actually, I am talking about uh, an episode that occurred um, 2,870 years ago in Judah. You read about it in the Old Testament. There was a king. His name was Jehoshaphat. He was pretty good. He eradicated a lot of pagan worship in the nation. He made a few disastrous decisions, but he did bring judicial reform. He established a supreme court in Jerusalem. Everything was going really well. And then in 2 Chronicles 20, we read this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Mayunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazaz and Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. In verse 12, the prayer concludes with this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a chap who came from a family with a lot of names that are challenging to pronounce. <laughs> As he stood in the assembly, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And then verse 22, as they began to sing, and praise. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. 21 years it's been now since I, starting in a teaching role position here at Timberline, and about 30 years of involvement because I used to come and visit and preach before that time. And over that time, I've told lots of stories and 
Some of them I've told a few times over because they fit or because I, I just like them. And, uh, and today uh, I want to share one of those stories. It happened many years ago when I was attending a leadership conference. I was not the speaker. I was attending. There were a few hundred pastors and leaders there. And uh, I was feeling quietly intimidated. You know, like they all looked like fluorescent, glow-in-the-dark, anointed together And I think even the name of the conference was intimidating. It was something like Bionic Apostles and Prophets Together for the Salvation of the Universe by next Tuesday afternoon. It was, And I'm like feeling a little intimidated and they've all been singing hymns in their car on the way and they probably read Leviticus three times before breakfast. And So we had the opening service. The next morning it was a conference center. I went down for breakfast and I, I found myself sitting at a table uh, opposite this lady, this woman, and she looked like woman of God. She looked like powerful. And I said, good morning, my name is Jeff. And I thought she was going to say, yes, I know. <laughs> I said, uh, how are you? And she introduced herself. And I, just for conversation, I said, how, what kind of week have you had? She said, terrible, terrible. And I tried to look sympathetic, but inside I thought, oh, good. <laughs> Woman of God has challenging times too. That's encouraging. So I said, well, what happened to you? She said, well, I, I took my family out to the car wash this week. And I thought, well, bless your heart. That's, a, that's kind of sad, really, when a family outing is to the car wash. <laughs> hey, kids, let's go wash the car. Woohoo! So she said, we got, I, I, put, you know, I put my card in, and, and she said, I thought I would check the windows. The, the, and, and notice, by the way, that the driver's window was on the, do you see that? was on the right hand, yes, God's side of the car. Yes, that's right. And notice also that there was a handle involved. Yes, young people. There was a time in history when we could not press a button, but we had to do this thing. How did we live? Anyway, she said, the handle came off in my hand, the window fell down all the way inside the door, and now the brushes are coming and the water is coming. Now I'm getting excited, baby. So I said, well, what did you do? She said, well, I looked around in the car to try and find something to put up against the window to prevent us all from drowning, and the only thing that would fit was my own bottom. <laughs> I'm looking at you, some of you are going, he just said the word bottom <laughs> on Sunday morning. What are we going to do? I mean, because some Christians get offended when I tell that story. He said bottom. You'd think that Christians don't have bottoms. <laughs> yes, I used to have a bottom. But then I gave my life to Jesus. And that's all behind me now. No, no, no. Stop. Stop that. What happened? She was afraid. And she panicked. For far greater reasons. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, was afraid. An army was coming. The Bible says he was alarmed. This was not a British alarm with a raised right eyebrow. Oh dear. Mm, awful news. We're under attack. Call Prince Charles immediately. No. The word means terrified. He's trembling. And there's a lot of fear going on at the moment. Fear about the economy, inflation, an unstable character talking about throwing nuclear weapons around. There's a lot of fear. And in our own worlds, there can be fear. Now, I'm not going to resolve that in the next few minutes, giving us five or seven points beginning with the same letter and just got that one sorted. I wish that were true. 
But as part of our ongoing conversation, we can consider this. What can we learn from this story? First of all, let's just know this. Life is terrifying. <laughs> Life is terrifying. A vast army, verse 2, is coming against you. And Jehoshaphat's fear was appropriate. I've heard preachers say, I may well have been one of them, that we need to get rid of all fear. That is not true. Fear keeps us alive. That flight or fight or freeze response. Fear is not always about an absence of faith. When we are in danger, fear keeps us alive because fear creates stress and the stress in the body is a physiological response to protect us. Our eyes, our eyes, the pupils dilate, which allows more light into the eye and results in a better vision of the surroundings. And we might go pale because blood is now rushing to the muscles, brain, legs, and arms. And the clotting ability of our blood is increased in the event of an injury. Your, your heart beats faster to bump that, that blood around, and, and you breathe heavier because the oxygen is needed to fuel that heartbeat. And you may tremble, which is the muscle reaction poised, ready to defend. You see, all fear is not wrong. But for some of us, myself included, certainly, fear can be our imagination working overtime. Negative fear, which can drive terrible decisions. Martin Niemöller, who was a pastor, a pastor in Nazi Germany in 1933, he met Hitler, and he came away from that meeting and he said, I discovered that her Hitler is a terribly frightened man. Fear can spark wars. And life can be terrifying. We fear life, we fear death, we fear what is, we fear what is not. We fear what we know, we fear what we fear we might not know. It ruins our waking, it robs us of sleep. Stock markets tumble because of fear. Businesses collapse. Jan Martel in Life of Pi said, fear is life's only true opponent. And I don't want to demonize the media but whatever station you and I happen to listen to, here's the truth. They all capitalize on fear. You know why? Because when that alarming headline comes out, you're going to come back for more information. And when you come back, you're going to watch the commercial. A survey was done of British newspapers. And they surveyed in our national newspapers back in the UK how many times the term at risk was used. In 1994, it was used 2,037 times. By the end of 1995, that doubled. And then during the year 2000, the term, the phrase at risk was used 18,000 times. Life is terrifying. But let's secondly know that fearlessness is a choice. It's a choice. Verse 15, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. In a moment, I'm going to invite all of us to stand and then just fly around the auditorium and then land, please, back in your chairs. Of course, I'm not going to do that because it's impossible for us to do that. When God says, do not be afraid, he is not asking us to do something that is impossible. And Jesus spoke endlessly about fear. In the New Testament, Jesus gives about 125 commands. When it comes to fear, 21 of them are about fear. And the next closest amount is eight times, and that's about loving God and loving your neighbor. Jesus confronts fear. There are 365 commands about not being afraid in the Bible. Commentators say, one for every day of the year. Why are you afraid, says Matthew 8, 26. And I've been thinking that it's good for us, it's good in my own life, to not just react to my fears, but to evaluate them, to reflect upon them. On Friday, Kay and I got into a wreck. 
we were uh, out shopping and running around and having some time, and we pulled up to a yield sign, and uh, a lady came up behind us. She later told the police who attended that she just wasn't, she was looking over her shoulder, and she slammed into us. And we felt the impact, and I turned to Kay, and I said, Sister Lucas, I do believe that we've just been impacted by an invasive vehicle. Amen, amen, brother, she said. I concur with that. I witnessed that in my own heart. I sense that also. But let us rejoice in the Lord as we always do, brother Lucas. Amen, amen, I said. Hand me my tambourine. Or something like that. He jumped out the car and had a really, not really nice lady. I mean, it felt weird. I'm introducing, I said, my name's Jeff and this is Kay. And we're having a nice little visit, you know, and there was no conflict. And, and uh, we exchanged details and all of that. Her car barely scratched our car. The insurance people are saying it's probably a write-off, but we, we don't know. Write-off, we call it. What do you call it? Totaled. Totaled. I like that word, totaled. So we called the police. No one around here says police. We don't say that in England, but I like that word too, police. And we are sitting there. We had to wait for an hour because no one was hurt. We're sitting there, and suddenly I'm feeling this irrational fear, like the, the police are coming, the police are coming. And you're looking at me right now going, what criminality is in your history? <laughs> and I've not done anything wrong. It's not my fault, and, but I'm still feeling nervous. Is anyone else like this? You're driving at 29 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour speed limit. You are not doing anything wrong. And a wonderful member of our law enforcement is driving behind you and you suddenly go, oh Lord Jesus, help me now. Is anyone else like this? Oh, I'm so relieved. And I'm sitting there thinking, why am I afraid? And then I thought, maybe it's to do with that that thing back in Vegas. <laughs> it's so funny watching. You're all leaning forward now. You're like, what, what? I was in Vegas. It was a pastor's retreat or something. I was driving a church van, and I was driving in the parking lane. I didn't know it was a parking lane. No one told me. It didn't say parking lane. And in England, when the, when the police want to talk to you, they, they used to pull up in front of you and they put a sign, a light on that says stop. You know, it's really obvious. Not here. They come up behind you. He put his lights on. I just thought he wants to pass me. I carry on driving. <laughs> he put his siren on. Woo, woo. I carried on driving. He speaks to me through the PA. Pull over. I felt led to pull over. I pull over, he stops, I jump out of my car and run towards him. I thought that's what you're supposed to do, be nice to the cop. It was like the prodigal son reunion, someone needs a hug. He's got a gun and it's pointed at me, freeze. And verily, I did freeze. Was that something to do with my fear Friday? I don't know, but here's my point. And there is a point. <laughs> I'm just, let's not just re react to our fears. Let's process them. Let's think about them. And then let's know the power of togetherness. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And they fasted. I don't like fasting. I think it's a spelling mistake. Feasting. I will eat more chicken for you, Lord. Don't some of you look <laughs> I'm messing with you. I know fasting is part of the deal, and we're going to be talking more about that uh, this year. And they sang on the battlefield. They sent the choir out ahead of everybody. Can you imagine being in the choir that day? You're just putting your robes on, and they say, you're, you're heading out first. Grab your weapons, the lute, the lyre, <laughs> the timbrel. I say, can I resign from the choir right now? They sang. By the way, did you know 
in COVID and maybe please God post COVID, there is there are reports from around the world saying that there is a famine of singing in churches. People don't sing anymore. They just kind of stand there. I, I mean, that would never happen here, would it? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And there is something about singing that is engaging in spiritual warfare as we declare the praises of God. We're going to be talking more about that this year as well. When we come together, when we lift up the name of Jesus together, when we sing, whether we can sing or not, it doesn't really matter. I sang my testimony at my baptismal service. It was horrible. I wrote a song, like 19 verses. People were crying out to God. <laughs> Singing. Can I, can I mess with this a little bit? I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. To the lovely people who are watching us online right now, live, if you are watching online because you don't want to be in a big crowd because of all that's been going on, I appreciate that. And you keep watching online. If you're watching online because you're in the UK or you're in Australia, or somewhere else in Colorado, and it's kind of awkward for you to get here, well then keep watching online. But if you're watching online because you got out of the habit, and you like the idea of being able to fast forward the preacher, so that I suddenly go, I've been practicing that all week. Or because you like watching the service in those Winnie the Pooh pajamas. I can see you, sir. Come back. Come back. There's the power of togetherness. Fourthly, let's find strength from our history. This is really important. Look at this prayer, or part of it, verse 7. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? This prayer, please see this, this prayer is a history lesson. It echoes the dedication prayer of the temple in 2 Chronicles 6. In one sentence, this refers to Solomon, David, Joshua, and Abraham. It's not just a prayer, it's a recital of history. And then this chap, Jehaziel, he prophesies, and he prophesies another episode of history, a prayer of history, a prophecy of history. What Jehaziel says echoes Exodus 14 and verse 13. Look at this. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Do you see? The people are reminding themselves of their history. God, through the prophet, was reminding them of their history because our past history can help us in our present challenges. So this week, I was reflecting and just looking briefly at the stock market and pension and stuff. I try not to look at it too often, particularly right now. And suddenly I remembered. I remembered Kay and I starting in ministry in church planting when our salary was $31 a week. And we're not talking 1874. It wasn't that long ago. I remembered a 15-year period when we had no salary. No salary. No newsletter. No donor list. We just had to trust God. And God provided for us. I can remember sitting on the airplane going back to England with interest rates at 16.5%. And saying, God, if you don't do this, we had $4,000 in savings. That was our net worth. If you don't do this, I don't know what's going to happen. 15 years. Now, I don't say that to commend me. I say that to celebrate him. And when I look back on that 15 years, my heart is strengthened to say, hey, God, You've looked after us, so I believe that as I celebrate my history, you can help me in today. What is it 
in our histories that we need to remember. And then number five, let's know that it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know. In the prayer they said, verse 12, we don't know what to do. I love that. I say that a lot to God. Does anybody else like that? I, I just say to God, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know. Amen. It's the prayer of Jeffrey. I don't know. As a brand new Christian, three weeks in, I knew everything. Now I know less. I know a lot more. I understand less. There's stuff I don't understand. How about you? People say unanswered prayer is difficult. Answered prayer is difficult. Because when God answers that prayer, you then say, well, why do you answer that? Well, what, what about this? Surely that's more important. You know what I found out, and I'm not being irreverent, I discovered that my application to join the Trinity has been turned down. I don't know a lot of stuff, but it's okay. We don't know what to do. I pause for a moment with three minutes and 39 seconds to go and two more points. Because some of us need to feel the sense of relief, of not being able to understand, but knowing that that's okay. I'm not against digging into Scripture, of course not, and wrestling with issues and crying out to God for wisdom. Of course, of course, of course, but sometimes we just don't know. Number six, check our focus. They say our eyes are upon you. It's a beautiful phrase. It means to give your face to the Lord. When we're afraid, let's give our faces to the Lord. Let's check that internal dialogue that is going on. Do you know, right now, there's an internal dialogue going on in your mind. Over there, sir, you're thinking, where should we go for lunch today? Should we go home? Should we grill out? What's the weather like? And, and over there, you're thinking, why does he wear his hair like that? How do you suggest I wear this? And, and, and over there, you're thinking, has he got new blue suede shoes? Yes, indeed he has. I got them on Friday, 40 bucks in a sale, but much more expensive because I had a wreck afterwards. Am I reading your minds? No, I made all that up. There's nothing freaky here. But my point is we've got an internal dialogue going on all the time. Did you know that while I'm preaching, I have a dialogue going on in my mind? I'm saying stuff and I'm thinking, what's that guy doing back there? Why did that person back there just leave? Was it the bathroom or do they hate me? Were they walking out going, bottoms? Let's check that internal monologue because what goes on in our heads, we listen to ourselves and we tend to trust ourselves. We must have it right, but often the universe won't explode if we concede that we might have it wrong. Let's check our focus. Finally, let's know that we will never walk alone. Verse 15, for the battle is not yours, but God's. How many recognize you'll never walk alone as a song? Anyone recognize that? Raise your hand if you'd come and you can, you can do that. A real fan over there. That's, that's great. Rogers and Hammerstein. In fact, we've got time, so I would like to sing that for you right now. <laughs> I did that to demonstrate the power of fear. Some of you, some of you were like, you're not going to do that, are you? No, I'm not. I'm not. But God said to them, I'm in this with you. And sometimes he says, you don't need to do anything, I'll win this battle. And sometimes he doesn't. I like it when he says, you don't need to do anything. That's what I vote for every time. Oh, yes, thank you very much. But what he does say is, I'm with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I can't promise you you won't go through stuff. 
We know that just by looking around our world. I can promise you this, you'll never be alone again.